This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Welcome to another episode of Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth. Now, I was thinking about topics during the last few weeks, and I realized I hadn't made any specific podcast for teachers. And I know there are so many teachers listening to us. So it was an easy decision when I thought about who could help talk through ideas and continue our series of Food for Thought. Um, so a very warm welcome again to Liz Walker. Hello there, Liz. Hi, Claire. Hi. So this is such a huge and endless topic when we're trying to help uh, with ideas about teaching. And it also depends on on ages and abilities. So this is definitely going to stretch into a few podcasts. Um, I'm I'm hoping we can cover some basics about all aspects of teaching, but I wanted to kick off with a thought for you, which is about our role, our role as a teacher. And I was going to say to you, our role, simply put, is to become unnecessary. Has become unnecessary, didn't well, I? I miss it, that. It <laughs> is to become unnecessary. So our role as a teacher is to become unnecessary. What do you say? Yes, I mean, what a good thought to kick off with, Claire. <laughs> I mean, yes, indeed. I mean, if you do a really good job, uh, not only is your role unnecessary, uh, you also potentially might be out of a job. <laughs> I say this because I have an excellent, excellent student, ex-student of mine, uh, currently at Wales Cathedral School as a GMA, uh, which is a gap music assistant. And uh, I've been off this week with COVID and I've left her, I've left all my students in her incredibly capable hands. And isn't that a joy to know that, number one, uh, you've done a good job with a student and that they can then do your job <laughs> for you, possibly better than you. Our role is to give them the tools and the skills they need to go and do what they want to do with their flute playing and their music making. With confidence. With confidence. And now we have to think about how do we do that? And yes. what what are the, yeah. what steps do we take? So do you want to, I know you made a, a lovely list. Uh, yes, I mean, I haven't got my list in front of me because uh, you then sent me an equally wonderful list. <laughs> um, but I would say, uh, yes, organization, preparation, but then on top of that, a little bit of adaptation because I think there's nothing worse in a way uh, than the weeks that I go into school with a a huge, great big agenda. uh, And then I close my ears, of course, to reacting and and listening. Um, So I think it's, it's a very important, uh, really important for teachers to be organized. I think we need to have a sense uh, with each pupil um, quite quickly about where they are, uh, what they need to inspire them and take them to the next level. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't know about you, Claire, but I, I take so much uh, inspiration from my own playing, uh, you know, so I can be doodling 
and practicing and I'll have a, a really great idea and that'll send me down a little rabbit hole of finding you know some solutions for myself for my own playing and then of course you know what a lovely opportunity as a teacher to then impart that onto my students so I would say that you do need to be organized you do need to prepare your lessons but you also need to add that element of of, of yourself in your teaching uh, to keep it inspiring and relevant maybe so that would be my starting point I think okay um, I, mean, I obviously totally agree o- organization in terms of having a plan a plan that can be adapted or molded depending on who you're teaching so to to I suppose we it's it's so important to teach the person and not teach the flute as such so if sometimes it's easy to have a set routine that you go through with every single student so you're teaching the flute but you're not teaching the person so it's 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 important to be adaptable so to be organized but know that you can change and in terms of lesson preparation to make sure that you've had a think about what you need to do and how you're going to do that interestingly I've always been a note maker or list maker when I got my first teaching job I was in my oh what was it my second year at the at the Royal Northern and I was given the position of the flute teacher at the junior school that was incredibly scary because I didn't really have any clear idea I had ideas but I wanted to make sure they were clear in my head before I started teaching so I made a whole load of lists about tone technique articulation whatever it might be and then had to think about how do you communicate that? How do you teach that? So I had an awful lot of organization of, of what I thought before I passed it on to any students. And I think that's quite a good technique to do. So I think if any of our teachers are maybe struggling with an aspect of teaching, just to start to write it down. If you see something on paper, write down what it is that you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. And it can set it's sort of a chain reaction about, about getting more ideas. Yes, and having, having a system, uh, you know, if you're teaching uh, maybe in any institution, but even more if you're actually teaching from home, which I know a lot of our uh, flute teachers probably are, you may not have that sort of uh, discipline, if you like, of, of assessments and end of year at grades and writing reports. I mean, they're all the things in, of teaching in an institution, which I know some teachers find really frustrating, but on so many levels, it just gives you an indicator from one year to the next. Okay, oh, well, I did tackle that and that one seems to be... So if you're teaching from home, I would install, and not not obviously as, as uh, dogmatically as in an institution, but having that idea from, from one year to the next what's been achieved how you've managed that uh and and maybe you know make your own little um syllabus if you like uh, my first job was was when I was a postgraduate in Holland and I had a little car I had a little mini and I drove to this wonderful village called Oostgeest and and I went round from one house to the other uh, I had about 15 pupils at one point and uh you know they they weren't using associated board. I think it was the first time I taught outside any sort of structure, if you like. And I found that really useful to sort of write my own little, you know, um, assessment plan, even for, you know, most of them were, were total beginners. 
but it is it's a really really uh important part of your organization i think organizational skills mm. uh you know check check that you've covered um the basics uh check that improvements been made and if it hasn't obviously then you know there's those agonizing questions of what am i doing wrong <laughs> Um, or you know, is this a moment um, you know to 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 have a, a chat with you know, depending on on what age group we're talking about here, uh, but get you know sometimes I think teachers it is interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I've taught for what or oh, I hate to think now uh, thirty five, let's say thirty five years. Uh, I've never had a lesson on how to teach. Um, I don't think actually over the years many people have even observed my teaching and I wonder how many of us you know are looking back at a career of, of teaching uh, with very little instruction actually on 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 how to do this and we all find our own way and I'm sure now uh, we wouldn't want anyone coming in and saying oh you're doing it all wrong um, but it's we are often left to our own devices aren't we Claire uh, to you know carve a career as a teacher yeah. without very much intervention and I think one of the things I would really challenge and, and I hope one day you know maybe does change is that you know, that wonderful interaction that we should be getting between teachers of, you know, how do you do this and what's your system and, and how do you tackle this? And also having that confidence to say, this isn't working, um, you know, and I need I need to know why this isn't working. Of course, it's nine times out of 10, it'll be that the student maybe is on the wrong instrument or it's not, you know, it's not the right um right time for them to be learning music or if it's an adult it might be that there's a, a, a physical reason why something's not there um and and we tend well maybe it's just me but I tend to blame myself <laughs> but sometimes you know maybe it would be a, a, a good forum would be to say you know can't do this why can't I do this what's the problem here <laughs> a very interesting point you make because we're not generally speaking we're not taught how to teach certainly not in terms of our specific instruments you mean you're the teacher training colleges here in the uk but that's for sort of general school teaching but in terms yeah. of instruments no we're not and um it's it's so healthy to chat to other teachers to find yeah. out about how they how they do things not all people you talk to want to sort of divulge how they might do things. But, you know, we're, we're all different. We all do things differently. And we, our students, students react also different to, to different teachers. And it's not a problem if sometimes you don't necessarily click with that student or the student doesn't necessarily click with their teacher. Sometimes you might need to move on. And if you as the teacher are struggling to get through to someone and you find that you sort of it's like banging head against a brick wall then again if you've tried all the the usual things you were trying you're still get, not getting anywhere then again think about moving them on to someone who might be able to help them because teaching doesn't necessarily equal learning because you know it all it all depends on how that communication is working and and all students learn differently I mean for me I'm more Kinesthetic. I like to learn by doing something. So someone can speak to me for ages and I'll take it in. But if I can go and try it, 
I, I do much better. Absolutely. I think you've got to, you, you know, the, the, the teachers, I mean, for example, my computer breaks and my son can come and solve it, but he can't show me how he can do that. And that's, you know, that's obviously, you know, a, a vital component that's missing. <laughs> and we do need, we need instruction that's very clear, but then we do actually need to go and try it out ourselves because then you'll remember how you've, how you've solved it. Uh, it's really important, isn't it? Definitely instances where where I, I totally, uh, that resonates with me, Pair that idea that, you know, it's a one-to-one relationship and sometimes it doesn't work. And I think it's um, it's very brave, isn't it, to sort of say, I'm not making any progress here. Uh, can 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 you have a go sort of thing yeah. uh, to a colleague and and just and just move a student on and it's interesting I don't know whether you've got a feeling about how how many years you should also have a student I mean if they're still coming to you 20 years later then you've possibly done something wrong there <laughs> yeah they, they, there are some some places where or maybe I say some students who like to sort of move on every sort of six months or every year or so thinking that they're going to get lots of good information from lots of different people which will make them a different player I personally think that if you've found your good teacher you need to stay with them for some time in order to develop your own individual way of playing and if you change teachers too often you become sort of a little bit more less individual if you like you have got to to give it time but you know teaching is a definitely a a a two-way process you need to develop the rapport with your students and often students can be sort of fearful I mean can be so many lessons when you're scared and nervous nervous anticipation maybe I should say and I think to be more successful as 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 teachers we certainly need to develop our powers of of um, communication and and our ability to understand our students, because they they depend on us to be able to feel safe and to relax so that they can absorb the information and then progress. So our our responsibility is huge, isn't it? We need to be trying to open up this world of music and and not push them towards giving up. One of the interesting uh, questions that you sent to me was this uh, balance of, of praise and criticism I mean that's such an important sort of change as well because I think there has been a tradition in music teaching I mean I remember my piano teacher when I was five you know hitting me with a ruler (laughs) I mean they were dragons weren't they your piano teachers in your youth I don't know maybe it was just me but there was a sort of tendency I remember from from you know when I was a child that you would you would fear your music teacher, and I would hope so much that we've come a long way from that. But obviously, you know, equally, I would say if you speak to any professional player, they would say that at some point in their training, they had a teacher that they feared, and and the fear was was in in letting the teacher down. So. The expectations of that teacher were really, really high, and that did that produce uh, the professional player now that you know? Because let's face it, the profession is not not a sort of cozy, <laughs> happy environment 
all the time. Uh, you know, sometimes you you really have to uh, pull out the goods. So, you know, it, it is difficult, isn't it? And I think anybody watching the Winter Olympics, I know I don't really want to bring Russia into our conversation today at all, but anybody who watched that uh, lovely 15-year-old, I can't remember her name, I'm afraid, uh, you know, just, just fall to pieces in front of our eyes and then see her trainer uh, just sort of, ah. Oh, Unbelievable. And I think anybody uh, in the music profession who can relate to that by looking back at maybe a teacher who really demanded so much out of them that it started to, as you say, bring nerves into the lesson. I, I, I mean, personally, I never had a teacher that, that caused me uh, that amount of grief. <laughs> And uh, I know as a teacher, I would be absolutely horrified if I knew that any of my students were A, nervous of me, or B, I'd caused them any grief. When we were first learning, I think the, um, the idea was that you as the student didn't speak or didn't uh, do anything. You just listened and then yeah. you did, but you, you, wouldn't, you d- wouldn't reply back. I mean, I would never dare say... I didn't understand. No, you know, you know, you'd be, you'd sort of be shot at dawn. I mean, it was now. It's now very much of the last, certainly the last um, thirty years, at least, maybe 30, 40 years. We've, I think, a lot of us have been trying to develop this, as I said earlier, on this two-way process, this, this rapport where your your student feels able to talk to you about what they're finding difficult, to actually play something that they can't play to you. Whereas I never took to a lesson, I never played anything in a lesson that I couldn't play. I didn't dare. So I didn't learn as quickly as I should have done because I never said, look, I'm I'm struggling with this, I can't do this, because it wasn't the done thing. So I'm hoping that um, students now have, um, they feel better about asking questions and knowing that the teacher is there really to help them um, and not to intimidate or scare them half to death. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because if you see a potential in a student and you know that they're not, for whatever reason, um, getting the message. Um, I remember my lovely flute teacher, Kate Lucas at Guildhall saying to me, you know, when you're teaching, you're trying to open doors into the next uh, room. And sometimes students, the the doors slam shut and it doesn't matter how many different ways you say something, the door does not open. And that's frustrating as a teacher and how you deal with your frustration of, you know, you've given everything, you've tried every explanation, you've inspired as much as you can, you've handed them those studies that they they need and and the expertise that you've given them. And they come back the next week and there's no change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's frustrating. And it's really easy, isn't it, for, yeah. for you as a teacher to get frustrated by that. Yeah. And it's finding your way around that so that you don't cause that student any distress, but you keep on trying to bring in your you know, creative imagination or your, you know, using your patience to just try and, and open that door that's staying shut. Mm-hmm. And I think... If there is any tension, uh, 
you know, between a student and a, and a teacher, it's totally understandable because it may well be one of these issues where they're just really struggling, really struggling to to take on what you're trying to say. Um, and that's happening with with people who are listening now. If that's happening with any of, of our listeners, students. The thing to do is to is to talk about it. Whereas yes. maybe all those years ago when we were learning, you never spoke about it. Now you speak about it. Um, yes. Like we, we, we've talked a lot about mental health and, and making sure that you're aware of people's mental health. This is, this is part of it, that to make sure that your students know that you understand they're struggling or they're maybe not improving as much or not achieving and to talk to them about what they feel about it, how they think they might be able to change it. So that in terms of our teaching style then, that sometimes it's, it's teacher-led and sometimes it's student-led. Um, and that you allow them to also take a little bit of control and hopefully they would, they would open up. Um, in terms of criticism, I always think that it, it, I always talked about constructive criticism opposed to I had a lot of, in my learning years, destructive criticism where, you know, you're sort of taken to pieces in the lesson and then you're not put back together again before you've left. So you're sort of like um, in a complete mess. Yeah. So yeah. praise, but also you need to, part of our role is to help them get better. And sometimes then we have to criticise, but to criticise in a destructive way. So not saying that sounds terrible, but to say, you know, it, that's not sounding as good as it could be because of X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. And this is what we're going to do to try and overcome that. So I think yeah. as you get more experience as a teacher, your style develops and you understand hopefully how you can deal with all these different situations. And certainly my experience as a teacher was very much at the beginning, a very steep learning curve and getting a lot of things wrong and then gradually understanding more of the role and developing. And it possibly comes back also to that uh, organisation, that, that first point of mind today, that um, you, you have to also understand the length of the lesson. There's no point in deconstructing, as you say, a student if you know you haven't got the time to put it back together. Uh, so in so many instances, isn't it, it's, it's sort of, you know, plan that time that you've got as well. You know, you can teach for 30 minutes, you can teach for an hour, you can teach for two hours, and you need to make sure that you've got enough time. Uh, so if there is a, a really big pressing uh, technical challenge that they've got, you know, don't, don't unpick it and then say, oh, the lesson's finished, off you go. <laughs> Uh, you know, so it's a lot about, you know, time management, I think, teaching, making sure that as the pupil leaves your room uh, or, or the space that you're teaching in, that they've really got a clear sort of notion of how they're going to practice for the next week or until they next see you, rather than sort of leaving them halfway through that lesson so that they actually walk out and they've got no idea, you know, because as you said at the very beginning, what we're looking for is something that allows that your pupil to go off and come back and have used their time on their own that don't you know I often say to my students you know imagine I'm in the room with you yeah. uh, you can do that but ultimately I want to know that I can leave at the end of the day and next time I see them 
something will have improved. And that won't be necessarily at all about what I've told them in the lesson. It'll be because I've given them something to take away that they can then do themselves so that when you next see them, they've made that improvement. You need to have structured that lesson so that as they leave, uh, they've got that bullet point in in for themselves, and whether that's because they've written it down, um, you know, you but you need that moment to summarise everything you've done in the lesson so that they off they go. Yeah, I just want to go off on one little tangent, and we come back to that. You you mentioned there about whether the lesson is thirty minutes, an hour, or two hours, and you just remind me of longer time doesn't necessarily mean more learning because I, I used to teach in a in one of the specialist schools where um, everybody had two-hour lessons every week. Yeah, that's what my uh, students get. Lucky them, huh? Me for two hours. I thought it was. I thought it was. It was too long for a lot of the students. It was too long. The 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 more advanced, the ones who are really sort of striving to, you know, towards the end of their training, loved it, and you could really get into the nitty gritty detail and you didn't feel pushed but the younger ones they couldn't keep the concentration they couldn't cope and so we had to sort of think of other things like doing lots more playing together or listen or so yeah. it's be careful of the time length make sure the time length is one where you can achieve rather than start to sort of demotivate it's 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 an interesting one and everyone's different it's not necessarily an age thing it's it's an ability thing as well and I think you have to judge it according to each again each individual I mean from my perspective it always feels a bit of a luxury because we can uh, you know we don't necessarily use that two hours as a one-to-one with me uh Mm -hmm. we can use half of it um as maybe a performance opportunity from you know that they're all in a class together mm-hmm. uh, or we can work on studies as a group and and that brings me to another very interesting question i do you remember a few years ago we started talking about whether one to one was the right way to learn or whether we should actually always be in a group in a group mm-hmm. and it really made me think because actually when I was doing my postgraduate in Holland uh, and I was studying Baroque flute actually with, with Bart Kauken, uh, he only taught in a class. Mm. And it's a very, very different experience, obviously, than one-to-one. But I see a lot of merit in it. And, and I do often group my students together so that there's a bit of variety we get they, I always want to see them one-to-one because I think there's a lot of interaction you can have that digs maybe a little bit more personally and there are things that I want to tackle with them that I don't necessarily think it would be of benefit for anybody else to sort of sit and listen to mm-hmm. i.e sort of you know very directive to to that one student but equally we learn so much from the group lessons Obviously, you know, playing in front of people, the anxiety, but but on a much broader level that you can learn so much listening to other people. It's sort of like a little mini masterclass, if you like, each week. Yes, yeah, that's that's a whole different thing. Now, I, I agree. I think that from a teacher's perspective, teaching a group, it saves you repeating yourself time after time. So if you're going to do a class on studies, with the, with the group that are doing the, generally the same sort of studies, then again, you're not repeating yourself, which means that it's less frustrating for, from the teacher's point of view. And it's more interesting for the students because 
they get to hear other people and see how other people are not necessarily doing better than them, but struggling. So yeah. that you, you feel comfortable thinking, oh, it's not just me that's struggling with that. And, and the, the only downside, again, I speak from my own experience, is that having a, a long uh, group lesson and found I got far less time than anybody else. So I felt uh -huh. that I didn't, and there were no private lessons at this particular point of my, my training. Right. When you didn't have private lessons, you had just group lessons. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that I didn't get the, the time maybe that, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, I didn't get my hour a week. It was, yeah. it was less because yeah. other people sort of got sort of more attention, if you like. So I think if you've got a mixture of one-to-one -one and group, that's the ideal. It's the perfect world. The ideal, isn't it? And also, um, you know, courses. We haven't uh, we haven't got a category for those, but for adults, of course, uh, it probably is the majority of their learning is will be on a course. Yes. Um, and that's wonderful because again, you're, you're listening to other people, you're interacting with other people, and you've got that opportunity. Um, to, to be performing, but hopefully in a, in a, in a sort of really comfortable and welcoming um, sort of group, small group. So I think, you know, attending a course as an adult learner, well, also as a student, of course, but uh, particularly for adults is, is a lovely way of learning. And I think for, for, for adults at a course, that is the opportunity where you learn, you do learn more by listening because you can make notes. And then if you've, if you're on your own all year round and you have a week's course, you can get enough information to keep you going for the next year. So it's a really useful tool, definitely. And if you're teaching on one of the courses, I would um, really, I, I mean, I, I've done these Benslow courses online and, and I'm learning all the time. And I would just say from a teacher's perspective, you know, consider doing some adult courses because they're just wonderful. I mean, you meet so many different um, adults enthusiasts uh, but they might have been you know doctors brain surgeons whatever in their previous life and their knowledge is just in, in a different sort of category maybe potentially from from yours so I thought I found that really rewarding yeah now you touched on writing things down so if you're listening in a class or you're listening in a in the lesson writing things down I think that's an area we should talk about because I, I think it's so important that not only does your student make notes or after the lesson make notes, but you as a teacher to, to make notes so that you, you know exactly what, what you've covered, what's, what's expected, and you can plan then the next lesson. And then when the student comes for the next lesson, you can check because of your notes what's happened and whether you've achieved all of the goals that you set. I think it's also a fabulous uh, diary uh, to look back on. Um, I'm, I've sometimes looked back and thought, oh, yeah, no, I said that a few weeks ago. And you might have forgotten that actually you have covered that. So it's really worth seeing that that's happened. And of course, you know, from if you're teaching younger children, it's wonderful for the parents to get involved in that way. I know when my son was learning, uh, I knew nothing and, and never met his violin teacher actually not for years and but I would follow every week in in the notebook what he was doing and uh, his school was beautifully organized they had notebooks with with manuscript on one side 
Um, and that was great too, because you know the teacher would write little exercises as as he went along, and and I think uh, yeah, really really important. Uh, and I sort of wish in <laughs> every year I think I must develop a little notebook that I can use. Uh, have yet to do it, Claire. Huh, note to self, but yeah, really, really, really useful. And definitely, if you're if you're teaching children, um, I think it's a very interesting uh, and and I would suggest vital link to parents because I think the more you can involve the parents in their learning, in, if you're teaching small children, the better. I mean, my uh, my daughter's cello teacher actually asked that I could sit in on on every lesson, which felt really strange because it's not something that I encouraged in my own teaching but actually it was really helpful but you know you obviously it it maybe depends on how much uh interaction you, you want with the parents but I think certainly from from when I was watching my children learn I thought I need to be involved in some shape or form, even if it's just reading the notes, yeah. uh, the, the notebook, or, or whether it's actually sitting in on the lesson. I think yeah. it's it was helpful for them. Although I did used to worry that my son used to say, is it time for my violin lesson instead of his violin practice every night? <laughs> so maybe I did get too involved, Claire. <laughs> yeah, and I think as, as teachers, you've then got to be quite careful that parents are observers on the lesson and not intruding in on the lesson and you need to judge do you think that your students are benefiting from having the parents there or not because some some don't some feel better just to sort of you know be on their own there are definite questions as teachers you have to ask all along you know is this benefiting us or not and then what might benefit one student might be useless for another absolutely and and I do it I think sometimes, you know, you do have to accept that maybe the, the parents want the lesson more than the students. Yeah. Yes, and, um, and quite often when the when your students are young, it's not necessarily them that want to learn, it's the parents. That's a tricky one. Which is a tricky one, isn't it? As they develop a love of the instrument, they want to learn more, but some don't always do that and then would be quite happy not to keep going. So it's, it's a juggle, isn't it, all along? It's a really difficult one. And I think it's those students who really don't want to be there, but their parents want them to be there are really to be pitied, aren't they? Because, you know, if they if they really don't want to be there, you it doesn't matter how much inspiration you give to them. They don't want to be there. <laughs> Adults have made the decision that they yes. want to learn, that they're, they're so keen, so enthusiastic, just so desperate to absorb us often too much they want too much information it's an interesting on, on the how you gauge how much you give or not give that brings me quite nicely onto my little list from mrs Kerwin's pianoforte message I love it. this is <laughs> it, so brilliant from 1886 i mean are you going to read the list out claire because i love the fact that so so little has changed yeah i think i will i think i might have read it out on a previous podcast what i'm going to do is i'm going to put this on the the uh, talking flutes facebook page so that everyone can see it but this is this is a list that has given us the uh, the idea of what we're doing today liz and i we've got our little we've we've got we're having these segments called food for thought and um 
this is because of this list made by Mrs. Kerwin from her pianoforte method called the Child Pianist from 1886. And it's a, a teacher's guide. And there are 12, 12 little guides. I'll just read them through and then we might pick one. And then I think might be a, a good time to, to stop for today. And we're going to meet again, Liz. But here's her list. Teach the easy before the difficult. Teach the thing before the sign. Teach one fact at a time and the commonest fact first. Leave out all exceptions and anomalies until the general rule is understood. In training the mind, teach the concrete before the abstract. In developing physical skill, teach the elemental before the compound and do one thing at a time. Proceed from the known to the related unknown. Let each lesson as far as possible rise out of that which goes before and lead up to that which follows. Call in the understanding to help the skill at every step. Let the first impression be a correct one, leave no room for misunderstanding. Never tell a pupil anything that you can help him discover for himself. And finally, let the pupil as soon as possible derive some pleasure from his knowledge Interest can only be kept up by a sense of growth in independent power. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's incredible. <laughs> what an incredible list. Fabulous. We should all have that pinned somewhere. I think, I think absolutely. I mean, it's just got, I mean, it's, it, it covers from such a, a, a sort of simple that starts with the teach the easy before the difficult. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? No, no. The thing is, it's so... In a way, they're so obvious, but we don't always do it. So it's a bit like um, right at the beginning of when you've got a beginner. And if you were to put the instrument in their hands and a book in front of them, it's, <laughs> it's like it's too much. But if you just put a head joint in their hands and get them to copy something you're doing, then yep. so much so much simpler and easier to, to digest at every stage. It doesn't matter how advanced your students are. It's definitely teach these before the difficult, teach the thing before the sign. Yeah. There are so many important messages for this. So I said, I'll put it on the, on the website, on, on the Absolutely lovely list. And I think it's certainly one to sort of sit and, and, and dwell on uh, and then, you know, put it, put it in, put it into practice. I mean, the, the teach the easy before the difficult made me smile when I, I remembered sitting in on, on one of my daughter's lessons and her cello teacher then, I think, just sort of sat and looked at her and then said, I really think you need to listen. And it just stopped me in my tracks, Claire. And all that next week when I was teaching, I stopped and I looked at my students mm -hmm. and I thought, yeah, do you know what? You really need to listen. It's such an easy thing. It's such an easy concept. And how many times do we just take it for granted that our students are listening? Or that the teacher is listening. <laughs> or that the teacher is listening. Indeed. Yeah. Though so definitely teach the easy before the difficult. And and yeah, as you say, it doesn't matter how talented our students are. Yeah. Just find I, them the easiest thing listening. I love the last one. The let yeah. people as soon as possible derive some pleasure from its knowledge. So sometimes we forget to let them play. Just play. And, yeah. and just stop, start, stop, start. 
and yeah. not just letting them play because yeah. the whole point of us is to, to introduce them to a world of music which we must talk about on, on at another time of course because there's so many things that we can You're absolutely right I love that derive some pleasure from their knowledge I mean what is the point of doing this and all those lessons if they're not actually having some fun <laughs> <laughs> and enjoying it so and yeah if, if you've done lessons of scales for the last 10 weeks tell you what this week give them something that they actually love yeah got to be fun in this Liz, that's that's absolutely wonderful. I think that's a good place for us to stop today. We've Fantastic. not even scratched the surface. I think I did what my, my point number one organization. That there we yeah. go. We did that today. Yes. Point number two next time, Claire. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks so much, Liz. And um, take care. And we'll speak to you soon. Yes, indeed. Bye. Bye. Many thanks to Liz for the first in our teacher series, Food for Thought. Now, if you'd like us to talk about anything specific, do message us on our Facebook page, Talking Flute, or on Twitter and Instagram, at Claire Flute or at Flute. And you could email us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com. I think this is going to be a really exciting series for teachers with Liz and myself, and we'd love to hear your views. Thanks for listening. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.